Football Made Simple. Become great at your craft by finding ways to make it simple for those around you. This is the Coaching 101 Podcast, hosted by Find A Way Productions. With your co-host, Daniel Chamberlain and Kenny Simpson. What's up, coaches? This is the Coaching 101 Podcast. I'm Daniel Chamberlain, here with Coach Kenny Simpson. How's things going on your end tonight, Coach? Well, I ran back from, we had an uh, elders deacon meeting at the church, and so uh, I had to get back, you know, we got to film podcasts, so we got to get back for it. So I'm eating pork rinds for dinner, so that's that's how it's going right now. So uh, it could be better, it could be worse, I could not have pork rinds, you know. But right. You could be hungry. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. I've become the king of just slamming dinner, man. It uh, It just, it makes things run smoother if you just eat it quick. What does it say in the army? Like, eat it now, taste it later. Just get on That's with fine. life. So That's right. If I could do that, I would lose 10 pounds really quickly. I just, I, I tend to enjoy how things taste a little bit. So, yeah, I'm a foodaholic myself. Um, well, that's good. Uh, so, how's your summer program going? Spring and summer going well? It's going well. You know, it's a, we kind of have a two part deal. So, uh, spring's done. We're in summer. So, the month of June, we spent a lot of time like evaluating trying to see which kids can do what, playing everybody at least. We go to team camps, so pads on, play a little bit. And then the month of July, so we'll start kicking into now, okay, starting to, to basically split up JV varsity more and uh, fine-tune kind of the guys we know are going to be our guys. We're, we're, you know, early on, we're kind of looking to build depth. Now we're really kind of honing in on those guys that are going to be our guys. But it's going well. Do you two deep that or three deep it or how do you when do you know that you have your guys? Is it by position group or type? Yeah, it's it's, it's tough. You know, we're in that random spot. I know a lot of coaches. I don't know how they're all doing it, but when you get in that fifty-ish guys, 40, 50 fifty-ish guys on a roster, you're in that weird spot where you don't quite have twenty-two, but you are trying to get to that point potentially. So a lot of times, what we're doing is we're looking at okay. We can't go full 22, you know, so what guys are going to have to play both ways and then how can we rotate them on one side of the ball and let them start on the other side of the ball? And that's kind of the way we'll do it. And if we're blessed enough to have 22 guys, problem solved. You know, it just how many of those guys are we going to have year to year will change. So for us, it's kind of that we're looking at guys that we know can we can put out there in a varsity game that are not going to be a liability. And that's kind of where we – that number might be 25 one year. It might be 16 one year. It might be 19. You know, where's that number? And so that's kind of where we we go instead of just trying to have a, a general rule. That's awesome. I, I have found, you know, I've never been on a team. I mean, I started in a 1A school and then a 3A and now to 4A, and it's we've never been able to two platoon whatsoever. And the first couple of years it was like, your best 11 are just playing both ways. I mean, it almost is those 11 guys. You just hope it isn't always seniors, so you have to find another 11 next year. And then this year, we I mean, some of our decision-making was, you know, who can we – who's like maybe not the best position, but they're 95%, and it lets that other guy rest, right? Because fatigue comes into that best 11, right? That's kind of the mentality we use, best 11 guys on the field. But – um if my starting center is going to be exhausted now, his snaps get terrible because I've got him playing defensive tackle too. 
we've done nothing to make ourselves another problem. And he's no longer the best 11 on either side of the ball. So um, I always wonder how coaches do it. Like what's your philosophy and how do you just build position groups out or yeah, key no, players? That's what we do. May, June, we try to go and evaluate as deep as possible. There's any possibility that kid's ready to play. And then right around July, kind of leading into August, we kind of section them off into, okay, these guys are, are ready to start. These guys are good enough to rotate in. And these guys are probably special teams players. And, and then these guys are, are JV players. They need another year or two to develop. And so that's kind of where we go. How deep we get into the rotational part just depends on, like you mentioned, it could be the position. You know, if we're going to run the ball 90% of the time, we probably could get away with rotating kids at receiver. You know, or it could be the opposite. We're going to throw the ball a bunch, so maybe we can take that next lineman and, and groom him where he can be good enough by week three or four that we can go ahead and play him. So that's that's kind of how we look at it. I don't know how everybody else does it. I'm sure we'll do a podcast out in the future and hopefully not too far away because by the time these come out, um, there might be some uh, might be some games kicking off. You know what I mean? So. Um, well, we'll get on and, and move kind of into our topic tonight, which uh, maybe a little bit shorter podcast. We'll see, but I hope not because I'm stealing everything we say tonight and I'm putting it in my head coaching packet. So, um, and we're talking some fundraising. So before we get started, why don't you tell us a place we can go to uh, simplify coaching for our staff and our players? Sure. Yeah, find a way podcast sponsored by, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> coaching one one podcast is sponsored by find a way productions which also has OffensiveCoordinatorAcademy.com, all things offense from the academy to the workbooks to the templates. OffensiveCoordinatorAcademy.com, your place for anything offense. DefensiveCoordinatorAcademy.com, the same thing but for defense. Got all materials defensive from the defensive line workbook to the defensive line, uh, line academy to the defensive coordinator academy to multiple courses. DefensiveCoordinatorAcademy.com. Finally, fbcoachsimpson.com, which houses 30 books, including the theme for tonight, fundraising. So if you want to get way more in-depth than we're going to be able to get into tonight, it's a fundraising, athletic fundraising book, which is over at fbcoachsimpson.com. And on that note, you can also go to fbcoachsimpson.com slash podcast to sign up for any of the future recordings we have coming out, information about the podcast and that website FBCoachSimpson.com also houses the Gun T system, the 3-4 system, and, of course, the free magazine headsets. Awesome. While we're talking about the podcast, if you're listening now or watching on YouTube, whatever it is, um, please give us a like, a share, a subscribe. Um, the, the more you help our numbers, the bigger we get and the more coaches we can help. Um, if you are liking things, how things are going, we're in our first what, 10 episodes now, so uh, I think this might be number 10, if I'm not mistaken. Um so, you know, leave us a review. What do you like? What don't you like? Uh, I, I know I have started stuttering a lot. I don't know if it's Sunday night recordings or what, but it just seems like I, sometimes I uh, stumble on my own words. So um, leave us leave us a review. Give us a like, share, you know, help us spread the word of the podcast. Uh, I'll go on and talk about Adaptable Physical Therapy. That is the physical therapy clinic that my wife and I have opened in Grove, Oklahoma. We're way up in the northeast part. So if you're northwest o uh, Arkansas, you're probably at most – well, I say at minimum, you're 15 miles from me. And then, you know, if you're over in the Bentonville, Rogers area, wherever it is, it's, it's a quick drive to come over. We drive over there to go shopping. You can come over here and shop for your physical health. My wife specializes in concussions, uh, especially in, in players, um, geriatrics, and then she's into sports performance. 
she practices what they're calling physical therapy 2.0. So it's no more like you go in and you're one of six patients that that doctor's seeing that day. Um, you're a one-on-one every single time you walk in the door, you're going to have the same therapist every single time, um, whether it's her or one of the PTs we've hired. And that's, you know, it's having your own business means you get to vet those people, right? Who represents you and your brand. And so it'll only be the best, whatever, um, whatever therapist you end up with. But as of right now, it's just her there anyway. So it doesn't matter. You'll see Dr. Samantha Chamberlain also over at athleticspeedmovement.com. Uh, you can jump in there to see, we're taking the belt, uh, excuse me, the Dell basket system. He's been doing it since 1974 or something. Many, many, many years. He's gone to every level of football. He's coached in the pros and many, many colleges, hundreds of high schools. Um, he travels every year to go install his speed system. We took it, put it on the internet, and we're going to make it more modernized, and, and that system will continue to grow. Um, he's helped a lot of people get really fast. The key thing is that, you know, you may have heard you can't coach speed, and that's just unfortunately not true. Um, you may not be able to make a kid faster physically in their strength system, but uh, in their know-how to run. You definitely can make them faster. So go over to uh, athleticspeedmovement.com. You can sign up. I think it's the first 50 people get half off the price, and it's a, an annual subscription. So jump over and give it a, give it a look and uh, let us know what you think. We'd love to see you sign up and, and be a part of the crew that's running faster. We always want people to have the, the grass long when you travel, right? You take your team, you travel across the state and play a playoff game. The grass is three inches long. They think that you're faster than them, and that's where, that's where we want to be at. All right, man, we will get into fundraising now. So question number one here, uh, what are your main goals? Uh, so fundraising, to me, you got to figure out, like, you know, what are your non-negotiables? Because there's a lot of different fundraisers that you can do. So you, you need to kind of figure out what, what is yours. So I'm going to talk about mine in this podcast, and, and then guys can kind of adapt that to what fits them. So the big thing for us is, you know, we're not going to sell junk. Like I think that's one of the worst fundraisers you can do is where you have kids walk around the school or they go out in the community and they sell a bunch of crap that nobody really wants, like bed sheets or meat sticks or donuts or, you know, whatever it is. It's not that it's not that that's just a horrible fundraiser, but it's that's it's bothering people. Like you're not really accomplishing exactly what you want. You're putting people out uh, buying something that you're basically using a third party vendor, uh, selling something that has nothing to do with your sport. And they're going to take some of that money. So here's point number two is don't give away your profits. Uh, and so when you sell things, a lot of times they're going to rake off the top of that. And so they're going to, you get, you got to pay for the donuts or the bed sheets or whatever candles, whatever you're selling. You got to, they have to cover that cost. And so you're only bringing home about 50% of it uh, on top of the fact that you're selling things, something that has nothing to do with what people want. So get out of that mindset of, Hey, we need to sell candy or we need to sell this or we need to sell whatever. Um, it's just not, it's not the best type of fundraiser, especially if you're looking at a big ask, like you're asking for a lot of money. Second thing I kind of hit on it earlier was you want to keep about, at least 90% of your, whatever you bring in needs to go into your program. So I used to say a hundred percent. And if you buy my book, that fun athletic fundraising, I say a hundred percent, because that's the goal. The goal is to run fundraisers where you literally take every dollar and it goes into your program. But that's 
there are some companies now that are kind of popping up. They're only taking like five or 10% and helping you set up these massive fundraisers and doing a lot of back end work, like helping you do emails and helping you on the back end of collecting different things. And so I would not be opposed to partnering with one of those companies because they're going to give you still 90% of what you're making. So one, don't sell stuff nobody wants. Two, make sure that you are keeping all of the money or most of the money that you're raising. And then finally, number three is you need to have like a specific reason that you're raising money. Nothing's more annoying for parents or community than we're raising money and you don't really know exactly where that money is going. So I think people respect a whole lot more of having, hey, here's where this money is going. Here's how much money we're trying to raise. So you have like, here's our goal. Here's what we need to get to. We're not just randomly raising money uh, to, to get to a certain amount. That could be a large type venture or it could be a small type venture. It doesn't really matter. You know, it might be a certain piece of equipment that you're trying to raise money for. It might be we're trying to upgrade our weight room and this amount of money gets us this and this amount of money gets us that. Uh, it could be, you know, big time, large scale where here's phase one. We have to raise X. Phase two, we have to raise Y. The people respond a lot better when they know exactly where the money's going and they see phases that you're working in, or here's a goal, like here's what we're trying to get to, and here's where we are, you know, and so that will help you a whole lot in your fundraising is to kind of put that out there on social media, uh, that where there's no hidden agendas, nobody's upset about it, the message has been really clear, um, and people are much more willing to give money if they know, hey, this is going to do X, Y, or Z. So those you are know, my big three, sorry. There's there's some... Some um, teams or some programs, some athletic departments, right, where it's the whole thing, and they're just set up on this. Every January we do this, and every February we do this, and and go through the months. And right? every time that month comes around, you can set your watch by, uh, you know, meat sticks was the one you said earlier. I've I've had to sell meat sticks in the past. So every time, you know, we know that that is like an ongoing thing. Those things just infiltrate the school and they never go away. And there's always meat sticks available. Um, you know, whatever it is, it seems like sometimes those things are so cyclical and they don't have a purpose and you don't know where that money's going. And then you're signing a bond for $10 million or whatever, right? And then you're having to go vote for this bond to pay for the thing that you've been buying a hundred meat sticks a year for, for five years. And you're like, what did that not already take? What are we spending this money on? Um, so I, I really appreciate what you said about uh, fundraise for a specific need. I know that could be hard, right? There's there's small towns out there that have, in Oklahoma, we have class C, class B, class A schools that are tiny. Um, it's very hard for them to go out and be like, hey, we're going to fundraise for turf. Because it would take you 10 years, right? You essentially are going to have to find a person or an organization that wants to monetize your turf for themselves and then and then provide that because you're not gonna you've got 35 parents in the whole school district you can't really get you know a million dollars out of them the second point here that i want to make is we are very fitness forward in my family and in my you know all through all my careers and my wife's career um we're all about like getting rid of the candy and the processed sugar and and all of that crap right because We've seen what it does to people, and we live in a community um, where, you know, people suffer from diabetes because of the way that they've lived their whole lives. They're raised it's okay to 
and they keep the house full of candy and sugar and bread and all this crazy stuff. So I really appreciate when someone does a fundraiser that is not pushing more unhealthy habits on, on me or my kids or the community. Like, you know, at, going back to meat sticks, like, yes, that's a, that's a fine little snack and there's some protein, but it's also like not that healthy. If you eat a whole bunch of them, go get your cholesterol checked. You're probably going to fail that test. You know what I mean? So um, donuts, I've been at places that did donut fundraising, right? You brought in Krispy Kremes and, and we're the family that like, I, I always ask the head, or I'm sorry, the, the high school principal um, when we have teacher appreciation, like, can, can you bring in like, you know, fruits and vegetables? Like I'm tired of it. Donuts is great, man, but I, I, it's just, we've taken it out of our lifestyle. So making those things fit is sometimes a little harder. Well, the money too. I mean, you just think about how much, let's say that you sell whatever, it could be something unhealthy, or even if it was healthy, even if it, let's, it, let's say it's just sheets, bed sheets, there's no health and, you know, costs there, but let's, let's just assume that the cost of the good was 30%. Then probably the company you partnered with is going to take another 10 to 20% so that they can make money because they have a business. So now you're dealing with, if you sold $15,000 worth of bed sheets, your football program made $7,500. Right. Okay. And everyone got bed sheets, which nobody really cares about. If you had just gone to the same exact people and said, hey, we know you don't really care about bed sheets, but here's what we're trying to raise money for. Here's kind of our goals. Here's how we're doing this. More than likely, you would have gotten more than $7,500 in donations right. or gifts to the program. No one had, no, had to exchange sheets. You don't have to go make sure they get where they're supposed to go. You made more money. People are more happy. You know, uh, It's just a much smoother process if you just eliminate the good. Now, there are certain things that would make sense. Um, we kind of talked off air about this, Daniel, like, you know, if somebody's going to donate something to your program that you could raffle off or like, you know, maybe a lawnmower or a, you know, if you live in the deep South, it could be a, a hunting rifle, you know, something along the lines of we're going to give this to your program. You can do either a silent auction with that, or you can sell raffle tickets for it. You're getting a hundred percent of that profit. Well, now that makes sense. You know, you're not paying for the good. You're right. just getting the money from that. So that makes sense. Or it could be, hey, we're going to do like a um, like a, a crawdad boil or whatever, where we're going to get all the food donated. And then we're going to offer it to students or parents or whatever at 10 bucks a plate. And all of that is profit. Okay, well, now it makes sense to kind of do a good because it was donated to you. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely selling a donated item is for sure the way to go. Um, all right, so let's talk some big versus small here. And this is kind of what I brought up a while ago. Like it's it's hard to go out and say I need a million dollars for turf. So, um, you know, this happens to be your first per point here is T-shirts versus turf and how it's different. Um, so I'd love to hear how you're doing the small versus big. Sure, yeah, sure. So we'll talk, start with small. So like every, every program has year-to-year -year things that they probably have to go raise money for. That could be like, Taking your kids to a camp, that could be, I use t-shirts kind of as an example for this. We'll use that for an example, but it could be a number of things. It could be travel to games. It could be uh, hats. It could, whatever it is. You give these kind of smaller yearly, every year expenses. So you kind of know these on the front end, or you're going to figure it out pretty quickly. 
maybe this is going to be, we want to get five shirts for our kids each year so that we have something to wear in the weight room or one per day or whatever you've decided that's going to be. So you go price out, what is this going to cost? Uh, so to me, anything that's a yearly expense, uh, we're going to kind of all categorize those as small fundraisers. Hopefully, hopefully you're not going to raise a ton of money every year. You're probably in the wrong place, you know. So these smaller ones, and we're going to use shirts as an example, we know those on the front end. And so we're going to set up some type of fundraiser to hit those goals. So that could be, we've done discount cards before. We made our own card where we just told the players. Um, and so you motivate the kids to do it. Uh, or what you know when it isn't happening, the parents help sell it for them anyway, but you motivate the kids slash parents who are selling the cards and you say, we want everyone to sell X amount of cards. If as a team, we sell Y amount of cards, we get three shirts. If we sell Z amount of shirts, we get five shirts. If we sell whatever the next number is, we're going to give you five shirts and a hoodie. And so now every dollar is going towards that. You know, if we don't hit our goal, then that has consequences. We're not going to get as much stuff as we said we were going to get. And so you're kind of putting that back on them. Um, and again, we also will just make trades a lot of times with that. So like for one, if you're going to do t-shirts, go talk to whoever's going to print the shirts for you. Probably they'll give you one of the five shirts or three shirts or whatever for free if you put their logo on the back. And so that's an easy way to kind of get a trade you got a free shirt out of it. You're about to kick them business from buying three or four more shirts for a hundred kids. So they're going to get, they're going to make their money up. Don't worry, you know, but you're kind of getting a kickback on there. So a lot of times you can do that type of stuff or like one year we did lockers. And so uh, we found a local company. Uh, basically we put up some advertising in our area in exchange for them doing the lockers at cost. So, you know, we didn't give them to us for free, but they took off the price of labor, which of course would be a big cost in exchange for kind of some uh, advertising. So those smaller ones, you kind of figure out what you want every year and you know, hey, we are going to set this certain kind of fundraiser. And so for us, that's been discount cards for us. If you're looking real close in the background, I don't know if it's low enough here, but I mean, we do media guides. So my wife, graphic designer. So we do a media guide every year. That's kind of a yearly thing, which is also filled with, guess what, advertisements, which make money. And so we've kind of combined that with our T-shirts. So if we sell X amount of ads, we get Y amount of shirts, and it kind of builds from there. So you're now motivating those who are helping you in the fundraiser by saying, here's exactly where the money's going. If we hit this goal, we get this. This goal, we get this. This goal, we get this. And then there's been some years I've even gotten prizes donated. So like your seventh, eighth, ninth graders, if you're the number one seller, you get two Razorback tickets or whatever that might be to help you kind of motivate them to sell more of it. Again, we're not selling things people don't want. Our discount cards are all local businesses, but people are going to go eat. They're going to go drink. There's plenty of value on those cards. So it's an easy thing to do. A lot of times we'll go to those businesses and we'll just say, put what you would put in a Sunday paper on the back of this card. Like we're not asking you to be out a ton, but if, you, if you're if you going to give away a free cheese dip and a coupon, can we put it on our card? You know, if you're going to give away, you know, a free drink with a purchase of whatever, can we put that on our card? And so you're providing value to the business. It's not a big deal to them. You're, you're literally 
driving business to them. Right. And you're creating a good relationship there. And then again, all that money's profit. If you sell 300 cards at five bucks, you made $1,500. If you sell zero cards, you're out nothing. You didn't lose any money. So it's again, it's 100% profit. So I'm assuming, uh, and I'm going to ask all the particular questions because I told okay. you before there that I'm very interested in these. And so you don't even print the card until after they're sold. Like you're not handing the person a card. No, we do. We do print them out. But again, you can go print, you can print on cardstock at the school. I mean, these don't have to be. And then there's a lot of companies where you can print three gazillion of these for 50 bucks. You know, so there's a lot of ways to do it. We don't outsource it because basically we feel we can print it and we can find the coupons ourselves. Absolutely. Awesome. So now let's move to the uh, the big topic thing, right? So the, we're looking at turf. We're looking at new bleachers, a new locker room. Um, weight equipment is a big one, right? That's something that I know my school needs. Right? We suffered from having one weight room and nine organizations trying to use it seventh hour. So um, how are you getting these big ticket items? Well, there's a couple of ways you can do this. So again, I don't know every person's unique situation, but a lot of times there is grant money available for athletic type uses. So that's the first thing I would tell you to go look for is, is there a way we could get, I know USA football for a while was doing different grants. So we actually got a thousand dollars worth of youth helmets one year because I filled out the paperwork they sent me. So there's probably multiple ones of those. So I would look that avenue first because free money is the best money, okay? The second thing is you start figuring out, okay, what do we need? And you set up a, where do we want to be 10 years from now, five years from now? You know, where do we want to go? And we need to make sure that you, the coach, and whoever's in charge of your school, usually a superintendent, board, whatever that is, are all in agreement on this is where we want to be. If you're not, then hopefully you figure that out during the interview process or whatever's going on. But okay, 10 years from now, we want this. Five years from now, we want this. You know, what what can we do in the next two to three years? And then we prioritize our needs. So, like for me, came to Southside, we were playing on grass. We had a not great locker room situation. We we're using weights that still had the metric systems. There was a lot to be done, you know. So the conversation with the admin is this, Here's and this is a common conversation. You know, yeah, coach, we agree. We want all of this stuff. How are we going to pay for it? And so uh, I said, okay, well, here's the deal. What, what are we paying right now for our maintaining our facilities as is? Like, what are we paying right now to maintain our grass field, our practice field? You know, what are we, what are we paying roughly for field paint coming every year and redo the field? You know, all that stuff. It was like $25,000. It, it was a lot. That's what it takes to maintain a field. I said, okay, would you commit to giving us that for the next 10 years if I can go raise money for turf? Because that was our number one goal I wanted. I figured if I could get turf, I could use the turf to help me maybe pay for some other things I wanted to get down the road. So the school, of course, why would you not do that? So, of course, they're on board with that. Sure, we'll give what we were given already to you. Now you got to go find the rest of the money. And so then you now the work starts. So now you have to price out, okay, what is turf actually going to cost? Um, let's, I'm just going to give you ballpark figures tonight, Daniel, because I don't want to do all the hardcore math, but let's just say <laughs> the turf cost $500,000 after what they were going to commit. Okay. So now we look at, okay, so we're going to set up a campaign 
based off of those numbers. So we look at, okay, roughly how many businesses are around here that I think I could go to. And every coach right now is thinking about, if you're listening still, what business you would go to. Uh, banks are always a really good one, especially the bank that holds your school's account. So the bank that holds your school's account, understand that's an extremely valuable account for them because banks can roughly, and I'm not a banker, but roughly they can borrow up to about 10 or more times the amount of actual equity that is in the bank. So if your account holds, say, a million dollars to the bank, that account is worth about $10 million in borrowing power. So when you go ask them for 50 grand, which sounds like a lot to you and me, because we're doing a podcast on a Sunday night, to the bank, 50 grand versus 10 million that they don't want to make your school mad about is not a big deal. And so understand that you kind of understand that's how they, they think. And then there are other companies around you that have what's called co-op money. So it's like uh, basically you may have like a shelter insurance or like have a uh, whatever insurance companies around you that has a local agent, but that local agent has access to what's called the co-op or this pooling of advertising money that is usually pretty large that they can go in and they can spend money for advertising. And then you need to think about your situation. So if you're a coach, you are going to march through your stadium the future consumers of all of these products. So if I've played on a turf field at the age of 18 and on that field, I've seen this insurance agency and this car company and this bank, and I'm allowing these same people onto my campus to promote their business, they're going to get all these customers. So kind of switching gears on, you don't want to jump too far all over the place, but you need to think about this more as a partnership than as a donation when you're doing these large scale items, you need to understand that you are providing this business a place to advertise their product with future customers. And if you're at a small school in the South, like I am, you're where it's at on Friday night. We have graduation on our field. We have soccer games on our field. We have football. So there's all of this stuff kind of going on there. So kind of put that mindset on. Now you're going to walk through and look at, okay, we got to raise $500,000. So dream big. If you want to name the field, it's $250,000, half of it, bam, done. You're probably not going to get that, but it's at least fun to put on there. If you want to be on the playing surface, you're a gold status person. I'm just kind of making these up here. 125,000 over 10 years. So think about like, you know, you can pay this over 10 years. So you're spreading that over a long time. If you want to be a patch on the sideline, it's 50K or whatever it's going to be. If you want to be, you know, a patch on the visitor's sideline, it's 30K. If you want to have a plaque that walks into our facility or maybe a sign on the fence, okay, it's going to be 10K or whatever that's going to be. And you're doing these over however much time, you know, so 10K over 10 years, it's 100K. You start kind of following how that math works. So a lot of times what you'll do is you'll go to one of the banks, secure a part of their gift to you, will be a very low interest loan to help you pay off whatever's happening. So that's kind of how we, in a very ballpark way, we did turf. Well, we knew we were going to do turf in five years from then, because that was on our plan, we were going to do a video board. And so we are able to use a very similar type campaign to do the video board 
And then we knew after the turf was done, and by the way, that just happened this summer for us, that somewhere in the very near future, we wanted to do an indoor. And so that was kind of our three phases of how we were going to build up our things. So if you're walking into your facilities, you need to look at what's priority number one that needs to be done, what's priority number two, what's priority number three, and then how am I going to stair-step these up and time them up so they hit in a good fashion. We're not just blowing up our community. You know, we, we're, we're hoping to hopefully do an indoor down the road. Well, now everybody that put in money to our turf and put into our video board, that commitment is over. And so now it's a lot easier to go in and talk about, would you like to reinvest in the next thing that we're doing? So long answer there. Sorry. No, that's okay. It's great because um, this is one of the least publicized things that people, people don't know how to do this. And so you, you're a wealth of knowledge. Um, and so if I remember right at your, I came to the national clinic this year and your video board went black this year, right? As in like monies, like you, you went from being in the oh, red, yeah. you hit the black and you still have a couple of years on the contract, right? So you're still earning monies. Yeah, we actually, our video board actually uh, is about a hundred K above what we paid for it. Um, and then our, and then like you mentioned, you know, all our contracts are up now. So the video board's still good for a long time. So right. what we're going to do is as we reinvest people into it, that money can be moved. It'll, of course, will help with anything with the video board as well. But also that money can be allocated towards another project. And so you're starting to kind of use money from one thing and allocate it to another thing. So I'm going to ask this question before we um, get into approaching different places. And But... Did you stay only within your community or did you reach out to like neighboring communities thinking, I know you need more business too, right? So you yeah, would, yeah. they would travel a, a town or two away to get a, a, a person, uh, a customer. So will they, have you seen that they would travel a town or two over to advertise? Uh, we didn't go a ton over. I think you could. I mean, I think we're not very far from uh, a couple of small towns and if we needed because our goal was not just to raise money for random. Once we hit our goal, we were done. You know, once we hit our goal, we were done. But I would, I think you could easily reach out to people, especially if you're a suburb, reach out to kind of neighboring areas. Um, but again, we were very upfront with everybody. Here's how much money we need. Here's how much it is. We need to get this many sponsors. And then when we got that, we stopped. We stopped raising money. And the irony was uh, when the video board went up and the turf, people came to us and wanted to get in later because they wanted to be part of what was going on. And so you don't turn people down, you know, so we, we would be able to use that money for maybe a different need. Uh, I, I will say I have been to one stadium and I wish I could remember where it was. And they had sold an advertisement and it had their either arrival or just the town down the road, right? It was advertising for them. And I thought, I wonder how much money you have to pay to put possibly the visiting team on my video board, yeah. right? <laughs> I don't know what it's worth. Uh, there is a number. I, I have no doubt there is a number that I would the, say. The big thing we really need to understand on this kind of stuff is advertising, uh, while it does take work and it is valuable, really doesn't cost anything. So when you get into this, I think one of the other questions we're going to talk about here is you can you can trade things, like you can negotiate. You know, there are things you can do in that world because it's not like it actually costs you money to allow people to advertise on your campus. Right. 
That's awesome. All right. So next question is how do you approach big companies? So I know this is everyone. We just, we just recorded the new head coach podcast, right? Like it's, it came out a week ago. Um, head coach Bo Collins on, we talked about being a new head coach. So now I have been a peon assistant, maybe a coordinator for a couple of years and I'm the head guy and I need money. Um, I barely had enough oomph and enough charisma to sell myself. Now I have to go sell my program to the bank or the insurance company. So how are we approaching those big companies? Well, the first thing you want to do is you want to put together some kind of committee that can help you in this world. And so, uh, ironically, you know, people with money know other people that have money. That's just kind of how the world works. I don't know if everybody knows that or not, but it's how that works. And so a lot of times on your committee, you're going to put people that have connections with those kind of people. So you want to get their ideas for sure. I mean, they're not just there just to connect you. You do want to you do want to hear what they have to think. And a lot of times those are people that have some kind of investment in your program, whether that be a child or a former student or a future student or whatever it is, they have an investment in your school. Okay. But they also have good connections with the community. And so they're able to take you to meetings that you may not have gotten on your own. So a lot of times what we would do is work with these people to help set up a meeting where I can go and pitch what we're trying to do to wherever person that might be. And they're comfortable with them where they can set that up and get you with the right person. Because the last thing you want to do is go meet with someone that doesn't really make any decisions. You don't waste your time or their time. So that committee's main job is one, to help brainstorm ideas about how to make the facilities better. Two, to help us on the fundraising of getting meetings set up or getting connections set up with different people. And so that helps a lot. And then the last thing I want to mention, I mentioned it earlier before, but you're not begging for money. And I think a lot of times coaches think about we're going in, you know, like, please, sir, can I have, you know, you're not going in there. I have another please. People. Yes, you're not going in there and doing that. Kenny, that you was were a- going in there and you're trying Right. Your partner. That was a, that was a pretty good uh, British accent you had there. I, I like Did it. you like that? That was my best. Okay. But I'm, I'm trying to partner with your company. So while obviously the, you're providing monetary resources to our school, what can we do for you? You know, we do a community night uh, every year where those companies come out and they promote their community. And so that's free. You know, you come on out and we have that for anyone who is on our video board or on our turf, they have kind of a a chance for them to come out and get something from that. You know, we are running commercials on our video board uh, that are advertising your product. We run it on our live stream that goes out to probably, you know, whoever's watching our games. And so it's not just a one-way relationship. And they need to understand that you do want to help them be successful too. You're not just there to take their money and run off when you're there to form a relationship with that company. Yeah. That's awesome because you can feel like the little fish in a big pond, right? You don't, if you don't live in that world. Uh, But I feel like there's always someone in every town and sometimes it might even be for their own reason, their own gain, but they want to be the financially secure person that's involved with the local sports, right? Whatever. Maybe they just like mm-hmm. the pat on the back, or maybe they like hearing their name said. What I like hearing my name said. I'm on two podcasts. I like to hear my name. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, they I have no doubt they would be willing to partner with your uh school with your program. Maybe you gotta work. I mean, 
working through the AD or whatever so that it helps more than just you, but somebody will get involved for sure. Well, when you go large versus little, the other thing I wanted to bring up was you can use companies for little projects too, but when you go to a large scale project, so we're talking turf, video board, weight room, whatever, large, you can go to individuals and you may have some luck, especially if you're in an affluent area, but 90% of the money you're probably realistically looking at bringing in is needs to come from businesses. And then you need to understand a business this way. Like if I go to Daniel and ask for money, he's probably going to tell me no. But if Daniel's new business with his wife is doing well, they can write that off as a business expense advertising. And that might write me a much larger check than Daniel. What is not coming from him is coming right. from that business. And think about that on a large scale. Like the manager at Sonic is not cutting you a check for whatever, but they're advertising co-op money. They might be able to. And so you need to kind of understand how that works. Um, was there any more to the power of advertising? I know you kind of touched on a bunch of this and I didn't want to redundantly hit this question, but was there anything else you had to add to the power of advertising there? No, I think this big, and I think just understanding, like we put people on the back of our shirts, we put people on our turf, we put people, we've named our uh, field house after a company. So you got to get approval from your superintendent for that. But when the superintendent understands what you're trying to accomplish, uh, I think that I think that that's misused too much or, or underused is a better word. Too many schools don't use that enough. Absolutely. All right. So moving on to the last part here. And that's um, so a question here is you, you talk about thinking to the end and work backwards when you're going to build out a campaign. So can you walk me through your how you logistically do that? Uh, so basically you want to understand what the end goal of what you want to raise in money is. So let's say you want to raise a million dollars and then, okay, how are we going to do that? And so that's where you start your campaign out. And so we've got a lot of, and that fundraising book I've got, I've got a couple of templates in there. You can look exactly at what we did, but essentially you're going to work with, okay, we want to try to get one or maybe two of these elite level and you could color coordinate that or name it, whatever, then we want to get about four to six of this next level, which maybe that's maybe the first two levels was, man, we want to try to get somebody in at $50,000 a year for 10 years. That's 500,000. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Well, if I get two of those, I'm done. And so what is that going to get them? Well, that's going to get them pretty much everything. So whatever you're raising money for, they're going to get it all. And so we're only going to take so many. Then you work down to the next level and you kind of stair step it down. Understand that most companies unless they have a really good relationship with you are probably going to pick the second or third option so if you offer six options they're probably going to land in the second to third option as long as it is a desirable option and so just kind of understand that when you go in uh, you may be able to find one or two that have a really good relationship with you that you say and, and what they're going to want is okay we want what's called exclusivity so basically if we do this we don't want anyone else's stuff around there. We want to be whatever it is. And so that number needs to be relatively high. Okay. And then you kind of work down from there as you go and you want to make it more appealing, obviously to step up. So um, that could be whatever that needs to look like, but generally that deals with advertising, like name the stadium might be the elite level. And the next one might be a patch on the turf, like on the, on the playing field. And the next one might be a patch on the turf outside the playing field. And the next one might be a patch of the 50 yard. I mean, so it's just, you kind of level up or down what they're getting for what they're giving. 
and understand how many you're going to have to get. Awesome. So that's kind of what I mean by think of the end first. Right. And then uh, you're talking about involve the right people. You already talked about starting a committee or a board or whatever. Um, I think this comes into, I know Oklahoma's full of touchdown clubs and I'm sure that other states are too, right? We all have a touchdown club or a, whatever, whatever your football club is called. Um, so kind of what it, the right people, you, you mentioned connections earlier. Is there any other characteristics that would make someone appealing to my committee? Yeah, I, I usually try to have at least one of our administrators on the committee. Um, usually it could be the AD, it could be the superintendent if, if they want to be involved with it. Um, we also would prefer to have at least one board member if they're willing to be involved because we want everything above board. Like you don't want to think we're going outside the school to do whatever. Um, we want to make sure the school's all kept up. A lot of times I'll have at least one other coach, maybe even two other coaches um, on that committee to kind of go with me. Um, and so that's those are what I'm really looking for. And then the rest of them would be community members that have some kind of vested interest, which generally are either future parents, former parents, current parents, or people that have been in the community for like a long time uh, that just want to be a part of the school. You don't want it too big. You don't want it too big because you want everyone to have a voice, but you also want to make sure you include anyone that can provide value. Awesome. And then we already discussed trades earlier as, as valuable as money. Um, is there anything last points you want to hit on that? Yeah, well, a couple of things like, you know, we did our uh, video board. So this is a real, real life example. And one of the companies that gave us actually two of them that ended up contributing to our, our uh, I guess they contributed, they made a trade. So one of them was an Atlas, was Atlas Asphalt. They're a local company around here. And so they basically, we needed a parking lot uh, done for our school, which is going to cost X amount of money. Our superintendent sat down with them and said, that's fine. We'll make a trade. We'll give you advertising for that amount of money. So, you know, the trade was good for them and us because you know that that didn't really cost them the full amount, but it would have cost us the full amount. So both of us kind of felt like you got a win there. Uh, same thing with there's a local uh, bad boy mowers, which I think a lot of people know. Um, there's some trades you can we made with them where they provided us like a lawnmower. And so there's different things you could do. And it could be whatever is local to your community. You know, it could be somebody that, uh, they want to come help lay the gravel for your turf, and you could trade that. And so there's a lot of ways you can make trades because, again, you're dealing with advertising. So, like, if a local sporting good company wants to say, we don't want to give any money, but we'll give you a T-shirt every year for the next 10 years, where do I sign? Because, again, this is – you're making trades here, and that might not directly have related to that exact fundraising deal, but don't turn down something nice. I know I had a – um for a couple of years here, we had a football truck, a truck that was donated to our school from the local car dealership that we could use to kind of uh, carry all our equipment on all our games and our youth games and all of that. And so, again, those are common trades that are made in that world that can benefit your program. Awesome. All right. So we've gotten to well, before we get to our what not to do, it's time that we do our yeah. our top 10. And I'm going to tell you, mine is not good this time around. Okay. Kenny has decided we're doing the top 10 head coaches all time. And we didn't say this had to be NFL. You know, our last two, right. we have definitely thrown a lot of NFL. Uh, well, as a matter of fact, they were all NFL quarterbacks. And I don't remember what that one was. But we're on head coaches tonight. So your top 10 list was pretty NFL heavy. 
Mm-hmm. Mine is going to be made up on the spot while you're going through yours, and uh, <laughs> we'll probably be some college coaches and some NFL coaches. So, yeah. uh, without any further ado, uh, why would you give us your top ten list of head coaches of all time? Sure, and I and I did stick to NFL simply because I didn't want to do a lot of research on high school coaches, and uh, I think you could have put some collegiate coaches up there for sure. Uh, but I did come up with a top ten. Uh, coaches of all time, I have three guys that did not make my list. They might make Daniels. We'll see. Uh, so Bill Cower was one that was right near there that didn't quite make my list. I do like him a lot. One of my favorite personal coaches, uh, but didn't quite make it. Uh, Tony Dungy's another one uh, that one of my personal favorites, but didn't quite make it. Uh, Bill Parcells uh, and then Marv Levy, I think, is a very underrated coach. You know, if, if they win any of those four Super Bowls, I think he's in the top ten. So those are my just offs. And I'm going to start from kind of 10 and work up. So for me, uh, 10th best coach of all time was Paul Brown, kind of old school, going back to uh, one of the pioneers of the game. Um, my number nine is one of the current coaches. So kind of going extremes here. Number nine for me is Andy Reid. I think he uh, proved what he could do in Philadelphia. I think Philadelphia is kind of wishing they had kept him, whereas they did have a good year this year. But proving what he can do with the Chiefs, I don't see him really falling off anytime soon. So I think he's just going to move up the list farther as he goes. Some of his quotes are some of my favorites of all time, by the way, too. So there's another personal favorite of mine. Number eight was George Hallis. Again, kind of digging back deep into history. I thought he was really, really talented. Uh, number seven, Tom Landry for all my Cowboy fans. You got to acknowledge the guy that wore the suit coat with a little hat. Uh, and, of course, had tremendous success in Dallas, uh, one of the best coaches of all time. Number six for me was Joe Gibbs. So I don't know if we're allowed to call them Redskins fans anymore, but whatever you call that team, Washington, uh, to me, one of the best coaches, uh, the Hogs, you know, the way he came up, kind of the counter trade, just all this neat run game stuff really obviously draws me to him. Number five was Chuck Knoll. Chuck Noll, I think, great coach. His resume speaks for itself, really. Um, number four was Vince Lombardi. Of course, the Lombardi Trophy. So you're kind of going back old school. Is my last old school, old, old school coach. Uh, but you talk about the Packers sweep, which to me is a lot like Buck sweep. So obviously I'm drawn to him. Uh, number three, Bill Walsh, inventor of the West Coast offense. Of course, had a ton of success with the 49ers. Came up with all kinds of things in NFL one of the brightest offensive minds for sure uh, to ever come along. Number two for me was Bill Belichick. And it hurts me to say as a Dolphin fan, he's up there, but he is. I have him knocked down just a little peg just because we're seeing a little bit of a drop after Tom Brady left. And so we'll kind of see when that could even out. He's got a couple more years, I think, where he may go back up to number one. I do think he's one of the best of all time. I think he's a master of doing the simple really well. And I think a lot of people – don't do that in the NFL, so I really enjoy him. My number one, and probably because I'm definitely a homer and a Dolphin fan, but he is the what uh, is the all-time wins leader in the NFL, or was, uh, was Don Shula. A guy who won in the 70s, had a perfect season, was able to completely change how he coached with Dan Marino. I would have liked to have seen him win one more Super Bowl, but he you know, has won uh, two Super Bowls, um, with the Dolphins, and since he's left, we have not really done very well. But Don Shula, by far my favorite coach. Of course, I'm a Dolphin fan, so I'm a little bit of a homer. Uh, Daniel, 
I'm seeing you typing your list in right now. I've already got three or four I'm going to tease you on, but we're going to let you go ahead and roll and see what you came up with. That's absolutely okay because, uh, you know, you had some homer picks and it allows me some. So thank you for doing that. Um, so I'll start with number one. I didn't follow football coaches at all uh, until probably the last like five years, maybe. Um, yeah, because, you know, I've before I became a high school coach, um, I barely, I watched football, but I wasn't so much worried about the X's and O's. I wasn't so much worried about the, you know, who's leading up what programs, et cetera, et cetera. And so I, mine is a mix of NCAA and NFL coaches. Um, first pick right off the bat here, and I'm, I'm doing top eight because I didn't have time to do enough research. Uh, we, we started this episode earlier before we started. He was like, oh yeah, we're doing the top 10 coaches. And so <laughs> I literally am doing this on, on off the cuff, but, um, uh, I'm even just do the top seven. So I think Barry Switzer, Barry Switzer ends up with three national championships. You know, he has um, one of the longest win streaks at um, Oklahoma. And, you know, his career was, it could have been longer in my opinion, but it wasn't right. So um, it is what it is. Jimmy Johnson, you know, Jimmy Johnson's guy that I feel like did it everywhere he went. I mean, he just, of course, I'm a Cowboys guy. So when I get to talk about Cowboys uh, head coaches, that's that's pretty awesome for me. Um, you know, we got some some uh, Super Bowls in there. I still think, once again, it's one of those that, you know, the Cowboys organization screwed up. It seems like every time they have a, a head coach that can come in and be successful, Jerry Jones is like, ah, just kidding. You're better than me. I'm getting rid of you, which, you know, uh, maybe not such a good plan here, guy. Now we're, we're on a drought. But Wilkinson is one of the guys at OU that really turned the program around and put it on track to be one of the best ever. I mean, every year... You know, I know we've not won a national championship since 2000, and we're going to hear that for the rest of our lives until we can win two or three in five years or whatever. But, um, you know, he kind of took a program and made it a, a, a staple in every household, and it's remained that way realistically. Uh, Bear Bryant, you know, that's one that I think is, especially defensively as a DC, that's where everywhere, you know, everybody leans to the, the teachings of Bear Bryant. So if your teachings are still – in the football community and when he died in, oh man, 2000, was he even alive in the 2000s? Maybe he wasn't even that long. Anyway, point point being, posthumously, he's, his name is still thrown around all over as being one of the greatest ever. He's on the list. Vince Lombardi, went the you know, his name's on the, the trophy for a reason. The things he did at Green Bay, um, I, I think he had a lot of culture stuff that still sells pretty good today, right? Um, he was a big culture guy and that was, when culture wasn't a thing you really cared about. <laughs> no one cared about culture. No one cared about concussions. No one cared about it. It didn't matter. You just went out and did your thing, right? At the same time, um, MLB side of the house, pitchers are pitching 17 games in a row or whatever. So um, I got the trophy for a reason. My top two, uh, Bill Belichick. And I, I, yes, obviously he's, he's out Tom Brady now and it's proving it, it was not all him. But he's also not the bottom of the league, and he doesn't have a Tom Brady anymore, right? He there's a lot of pieces he's missing, and I feel like he's building it back. Um, he's maybe missing on some draft picks that a few years ago Tom Brady would have made work, <laughs> and uh, you know. But but he, he, I think he's still doing his thing. Number one overall, Nick Saban. And I know this guy went to the NFL. You know, he started in the NFL, and maybe he wasn't quite so hot there. But you can't deny what what the man has done. Um, 
I don't even have the numbers in front of me. I want to say it's like seven national championships since 2004 or five or something. I mean, it, it's, it's out, it's, it's outlandish, right? And I mean, even if he doesn't win it, he's there, you know, this past year he goes and, and, oh, actually TCU got in, didn't they? Cause Georgia mud stomped TCU. But the year before that, um, he took them back, but he's always in the final four that no one wants Alabama on their schedule. Um, everyone's afraid of, of what Nick Saban does. And on the coaching side, I mean, it's, he doesn't, he doesn't keep coordinators or assistant coaches long. Like he is the rehab coach of the league, right? That people who have maybe suffered a losing season and lost their job, they go at Alabama and then they get another head coaching job and then they win a lot of games. So he's doing a lot for the game, whether it be natties in, in Tuscaloosa, or if it's just getting coaches back out into the community. And and the kids, I mean, they keep getting highly recruited to go to the NFL or or drafted, and and they're not generally, they're generally not uh, players that you know, kind of flame out in the first couple of years. They're usually pretty dependable. So yeah, my so list is a little choppy, and I don't have all the details. But there's two that I think I was going to see what you thought because you're a lot very college heavy, which obviously that's what you watch. That makes sense. So Bobby Bowden did not make your list, which I was a Florida State guy. That kind of hurts me just a bit, but he was a good one. Now, other one I had, and he didn't make your list, and I know he's probably his name is Mud right now, but Urban Meyer is another one you have to look at what his collegiate. No, he absolutely. I mean, and he did it in a short amount of time and won a ton of games. He he definitely messed up going to the pros, I think, and and that just proves that it doesn't matter what level you're at, you can be a fantastic an all time coach at your level. You don't have to go to the next level, right? Um, right. If he doesn't take that stint at Jacksonville, he's probably in USC right now or Oregon or somewhere that needs a guy to come in and win a couple national championships and, or heck, maybe OU. You know, we we lost out a couple of years ago, so um, lost our head coach. You never know where he would have ended up. I, I do find it um, a little odd that as soon as he gets in front of people who are not uh, on scholarship and need that money so much that they start speaking up about the things that he maybe doesn't do so good as a coach. So uh, Same maybe with Nick Saban. <laughs> Sorry. Could could be Nick Saban too. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And my favorite Nick Saban Nick, Nick Saban story is when they said he restarted practice at the end of practice because effort was low and he made them all just go back to their stretching lines. And I can't remember it was one of the linebackers, I think. And they said that when he blew the whistle it was like, whatever, we're starting over. He almost quit. And it was one of the starters. Like so you know the practices are hard and the man has standards, but yeah, he uh, he also rumor is he fired a dolphin uh, intern because they brought the wrong little Debbie snacks to the coaches' meeting. <laughs> standards, baby, have standards. Be able bring to the, back them bring up. Bring the rice rice stars or whatever they are. That's what I'm talking about. My list, man. It, yes, I it, it was only what seven. It could have definitely added some more in there. Yeah. I think there's people that did it for a long time that maybe didn't win the, the trophies. And a homer pick here, Bob Stoops. I mean, you look at the guy, he was in 17 years and won 70% of his games or whatever. He won. He's the only coach, I believe, that won every major bowl game. Um, so, I mean, he did it for a long time. He just he missed the hump a few times, right? But there was a stretch of eight years where every other year we were in the national championship. We just couldn't win them like Saban did, right? So, it's Saban would obviously be above, so. I mean, it's a guy that did it, and he just won the uh, – I know this is coming out in like two months or something, but he just won the uh, XFL championship the other day, right, with a 5-6 and six team, knocks out the 9-1 and one or 10-1 and one team. You're so, yeah. I mean, coaching is – is uh, he's a championship coach. Let's just say it that way. 
All right, man. So we'll get into the uh, what not to do as a coach section here. And coach, why don't you go ahead and give us our lesson for the day? Yeah, today's uh, lesson and what not to do, which kind of relates to what we're going through, is do not set too low a ceiling. Uh, you know, I think a lot of times coaches move into an area and you're going to be told a lot of things. And, and it, whether that's fundraising or talent or whatever, that will never happen here. And that could be relating to we're never going to get turf. We're never going to get indoor. We're never going to get it could be something in that world, or it could be something we're never going to win a state championship. We're never going to win a conference team, whatever it is. And a lot of times as coaches, when you first come in, it's easy to kind of ignore that. But the longer you stay at a place, the longer you as a coach, if you're not careful, will lower your ceiling, will lower your expectation if you don't continue to remember what your goals are. So I'm a big believer in writing down plan for this year, plan for five years, plan for 10 years from all things success-wise on the field to facility-wise to whatever that might be. And don't let the naysayers get you because I promise you um, little people like to take shots at people in spots like you're in and they're going to continue to do so. And the worst thing you can do as a coach is start to believe that. Awesome. I, I appreciate that. That's, that's a good word of advice, I think, for anybody in any place in life is what what do they say like aim for the star i think they say aim for the aim for the moon and you'll land amongst the stars or something i don't know whatever it is but just aim too high like it's okay if you fell a little bit but you still got there aim small miss balls another one like that right <laughs> anyway whatever all right coach before we get out of here man why don't you tell us a way that uh someone listening to the podcast can make coaching easy for them their staff and their players sure uh find a way Productions sponsors the Coaching 101 podcast. Uh, we also sponsor OffensiveCoordinatorAcademy.com, all things offense, including the academy, the workbooks, the templates, courses, anything you want on offense, OffensiveCoordinatorAcademy.com. DefensiveCoordinatorAcademy.com, the same thing, but on defense. So defensive line workbook, defensive coordinator workbook, uh, both academies as well as several templates and, and courses over at defensivecoordinatoracademy.com and also fbcoachsimpson.com. fbcoachsimpson.com houses 30 books, which includes fundraising, athletic fundraising, which is what this episode was all about, as well as Headsets, the magazine, which is free, as well as the Gun T system, uh, all things Gun T from the full system to the books, to the PowerPoints, to the videos, and 3-4 Swarm defensive system, books, materials, film, whatever you would like. All of that is housed over at fbcoachsimpson.com. You can also go to fbcoachsimpson.com slash podcast, sign up for any updates on our podcast, updates on Headsets the Magazine, updates on any other materials. You'll be the first to know over at fbcoachsimpson.com slash podcast. Awesome. Appreciate that, Coach. Um, also, plug mine real quick. That's Adaptable Physical Therapy there in Grove, Oklahoma. Reach out, call. Uh, we're on Twitter at AdaptablePT. You can email us, uh, adaptablept at gmail.com. That is my wife and I. Uh, she is Dr. Samantha Chamberlain. I am Daniel Chamberlain. We have started a new little business there to help the community around us of, of whatever age. She specializes in concussions, geriatrics, sports performance. Um, her her list goes on and on and on. She's probably one of the top 10 PTs in the nation right now. She is 
Uh, she kind of likes to do what I do for podcasting and football. She does it for that side of the world. So um, she's absolutely excellent physician. She does practice uh, physical therapy 2.0. That is, uh, you know, traditionally your PT was, you were one of five or six patients um, under a caregiver. Now that's one-on-one. You get a one-on-one visit every time you're there. You'll have the same um, the same therapist no matter what every time you're there. So um, we're a lot more load-based training. There's a squat rack when you walk in instead of a bunch of crazy whatever they are. But um, she's there to help people get better at whatever it is they're they're lacking in. So if your life ain't right, your kids are hurt, um, you want to do some therapy, uh, excuse me, some injury prevention therapy, come in, let Dr. Samantha Chamberlain take a look at you. Also, adaptable, excuse me, <laughs> athleticspeedmovement.com. Um, if you're looking to make your kids faster for whatever sport, we're specializing football right now, but you can use the same stuff for your basketball team, your baseball team, your softball team, whatever it is. Uh, volleyball, volleyball teams have used the same program. So we took Bell Baskets, 40 plus years of experience. We put it on the internet for you to come in and learn how to make your kids fast. NFL players have used it. College players have used it. High schools around the world have used it. Um, so jump over to athleticspeedmovement.com. And the first 50 people that sign up get it for half price. And I think that does it for the pitches. So social media, Coach, uh, where can we find you on social media? Uh, All things FB Coach Simpson. So FB Coach Simpson uh, at gmail.com is my email. FB Coach Simpson.com website. And then at FB Coach Simpson on Twitter. Awesome. You can find me on Twitter um, at Coach Chambo OK. I just recently got my sweet little blue check mark. I signed up. Like, I don't care. Eight bucks, and uh, I get to pitch these things and these podcasts and spread the word even more. Doing my part, man. And then uh, Chamberlain Football Consulting at gmail.com. You can reach out, shoot me an email if you need to. Um, I've already had some coaches reaching out just asking questions about coaching. So I'm there for that, man. I'm fairly new myself and have gained a lot of experience in a short amount of time, and I like passing it on. The podcast on Twitter at Coaching101Pod. Any last comments before we get out of here, Coach? Nope, we're good. We want to thank you for being a listener to the Coaching 101 podcast. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue to make the complex more simple. Please consider subscribing to the show so you'll always know when the new episodes are out. We'll leave you with this. It's hard to beat someone who never gives up. No matter the situation, even in fundraising, find a way.